Hello! My name is Christina, and thank you for checking in to the Home for Reboot OCs. This is a podcast where a guest and I talk about our original characters. The good, the bad, and the self-inserts. And guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi there, I'm Indy Tan from Dice Comics. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, or they, them. And I'm here to talk about Darren, my OC today. Excellent, excellent. And Darren is an OC from is your is your character from Dice Comics, right? He is. He is. He's he in in the scope of the game because I I I GM the game. I run the game basically. Um, mm-hmm, Darren mm-hmm. is, for all intents and purposes, um, an NPC for the players on the board. But he's very much he's very much my boy. He's very much my character. <laughs> he is the one character who gets to kind of be a mouthpiece for me, which. Um, mm-hmm doesn't actually happen in a lot of my games personally. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a lot about Darren, more so than I feel like other OCs um, that I've written, who, um, where there, there's a lot of my background in, in Darren. And yeah, to, yeah. To that, yeah, to that effect, um, we obviously come off as very similar people. He's very much written the way um, I sort of view myself at 17. But of Aww. course, you know, hindsight's hindsight's twenty twenty, and you know the way that we view ourselves at seventeen is not necessarily mm-hmm. the way that other people views our, viewed ourselves at seventeen. So, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> Cheers! I'll drink to that. <laughs> but uh, before I forget, uh, would you real quick kind of give like a a brief intro to the world of Dice Comics? Kind of like what's it about? Because like. I remember I remember from talking uh with with Brendan and Letitia about like what Dice Comics deal is, but this might be some people's first episode. No, that's totally fine. So, um for those who are not in the know, uh for those of you out there who are uncool, um hey. Dice Comics <laughs> is a <laughs> Dice Comics is an actual play that me and my group run that's uh basically set in our our own crafted version of the DC Comics universe. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Our current game is called uh, Blue Beetle and the Outlaws. It uses um, Masks New Generation, a system published by Magpie Games and created by Gen- uh, Brendan Conway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's the basic. That's basically the way we sell it. But really, it's us. The culmination of us having sort of played Masks for the better part of like a year at this point, and mm-hmm. kind of wanting to open the game up and share it with an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, it's sort of the thing where it was absolutely something where in the first couple weeks, uh, first couple months, really, we were playing it for ourselves and having the time of our lives. And then yeah. it, it sort of crept in to where we were just talking about the game so much and just talking about stuff that had happened and going, man, it would be really cool if we could just, like, have a recording of that in and of itself. And yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, we kind of uh, we kind of got our stuff together and pulled together and made this actual play. We've got uh, four episodes out right now, which constitutes the our first introductory arc, and it's I mm-hmm. I would like to think it's very easy to jump into, and you can just hop right into there and get to know all our great characters. Like you know, like you said earlier, you had uh, Brandon on here to talk about Sharir and Morgan to talk about Letitia Luthor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is actually a good lead-in for the first question that I kind of want to talk about, which is. Uh, you mentioned that that uh, that Blue Beetle and the Outlaws is kind of an offshoot and your own like and your own version of the DC extended universe. So, what are some of, in your opinion, like the big linchpins for differences between what people would maybe see as the mainstream DC universe and 
what Dice Comics is set up with? That's that's very that's a, that's a really good question, and it is definitely something that people have sort of asked me, you know, in private, and it's definitely a question that Dice Twitter account has gotten before. Um, mm-hmm. I think I, I think where to start with this question is that it's it's always important to note that the general perception of any fictional universe, I think, is largely defined by the most popular interpretations of its most popular characters. Um, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. I feel like that's very true of A-listers such as Superman, who you know, for many people, define the ideal of superhero superheroism, and I feel that's true about characters that are sort of considered sort of maybe B or C-list. You know, people like. Blue Beetle, or people like, you know, uh, Captain Adam, or even people like Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. Or heck, the Doom Patrol. <laughs> Doom Patrol, absolutely. And the, and the interesting thing about Doom Patrol as well is that it's had so many different iterations that are also very unique in and of, of themselves, that they all have different kinds of popularity, which is kind of mm-hmm. why the show is amazing at melding all of those different influences together, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but, but to get to the nitty gritty of it, I think uh, one of the biggest differences uh, with our universe, I think, lies with our particular structure of like the Batman family and their rogues gallery at the moment. So, mm-hmm. um, as it's been mentioned, we don't have a racial ghoul in our world. Uh, yeah, there are reasons yeah. for that. I, uh, I, I just, did Brandon <laughs> talk about Shareer's background and who he was in his, because by now it's been revealed in the podcast, so I feel like I can talk about it. Yes, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so for those who tuned into the Sharir episode and didn't quite get who he was, I'm not sure if it was mentioned, Sharir is Ra's al Ghul. Sharir is Ra's al Ghul, who was literally plucked from time as a child, brought to the future, and decided that he didn't want to be Ra's al Ghul anymore. Because Brandon's original playbook for Sharir was the Masks playbook known as The Innocent, uh, whose character Mm -hmm. storyline is basically they see the future version of themselves and they discover they're evil and kind of want to run the other way. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. that, that single choice already... Like, in a world um, where there have been so many stories about this particular man threatening <laughs> yeah. to conquer it or destroy it or mm-hmm. or eliminate modern civilization as we know it, already makes a massive, like, change. And, and particular vengeance is against Batman. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. that, changes, that changes Batman's world a little bit. And I felt like it would be weird not to acknowledge it. It would be weird to sort of put Sharir in a situation where... At this point in his character, he has decided very firmly he's not going to become Rachel Ghoul. He's a different person entirely. It would be weird for me to say, okay, maybe there just was a Rachel Ghoul hanging around, and that way I don't have to change anything. And it was more fun for us to come up with ideas and examples of, of in a world without race, who who fills that gap? Yeah, yeah. Who takes that place? Who does those plots? Who's in control of the Lazarus pits? Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, that is something that, um, I know, but we have yet to really in-depth explore in the po- podcast and, um, fairly short, our players are very, very well of it as well. And it's a, it's a storyline I'm very much looking forward to, but yeah, wh- one of yeah. those biggest differences is that there is no racial ghoul. And thus, if there is no racial ghoul, there cannot be one of the most popular interpretations of Robin in the last few decades. There can't be a Damian Wayne because Damian Wayne yeah. is a lot of comics heads would know who's the car- current Robin is the son of Bruce Wayne and Talia al Ghul, who is the daughter mm-hmm. of Raish. Yeah. And in and that, <laughs> uh, in, in, in that expression, it, 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 it's, I think it, it was very interesting that we had Matt come up with, this, with the character of Blackbird and, mm-hmm. and sort of put him in as like, okay, 
what what is a character that can kind of remind us of the things we love about Damien, but can kind of take it in his own direction? And then I the thing I love about Alex, and the thing I love about Alex Wayne, who is played by Matt in our show, and I know I mentioned that before, but you know I just want to mm-hmm. very much clarify. Um, uh, he in, in, in Alex is Batman's son in this, but he's Batman's son in the way where you have a kid who has a dad that everybody loves, and they go, I kind of hate my dad. Like, <laughs> so there's so there's a lot of fun that we can have with it because um, a- a- Alex, uh, Morgan and Brandon, I think both have said this, but Alex is basically the worst. He's he's a character who, yeah. <laughs> who who acts out quite a lot. I like to think of him personally when I'm writing stuff for him. He's he's like he's if Robin, you know, kind of was put through a Beavis and Butthead head filter and had spent just like not too much time on reddit but had been there on there enough to kind of understand the vibe and sort of oh, absorb no. a bit of that toxicity but the but the fun about that is the same sort of thing that um that you know viewers who are fans of damien wayne got to see in sort of reading his story as he de- he's developed over the last couple of years damien has gone from very you know haughty confident character into someone who's got a little bit more um, he's got a bit more experience and he's got a bit more uh, humility about him, but he still empathy. has those essential elements of, yeah, he, yeah he, he's got empathy now, but he still has those essential elements that people, you know, love about him. And so mm-hmm. looking at these characters as starting points rather than, um, r- rather than end points or midpoints for them is very fun in terms of where we can, where we can take them and the experiences we can sort of craft for them in that aspect. Yeah. That that is that is very true. And uh, fun fact, uh, when we were done recording Brendan's episode with Sharir, he was like, "Oh, do you want to guess who? Do you want to guess who Sharir is?" And I think I got it in like two guesses. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> I was like, uh, "What do I remember from reading the DC Wiki?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess other differences, just off the top of my head, obviously we have a we have our Blue Beetle, which is the biggest difference in, in the fact, you know, Heck Jaime yeah. Reyes, who is the current Blue Beetle in the comics, um, sort of passed his scarab on to the amazing Marisol, who's played by Kathy. Yes. Um, and uh, and um, again, playing playing with that and sort of the story, because I, I, I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I loved growing up um, reading a lot of Ultimate Spider-Man. It's harder to read now, um, in 2022, especially with, uh, sort of the way that a lot of, <laughs> a, a lot of comic book boys internalize the idea that they were Peter Parker and the world was out yeah. to get them when they were really just kind of, you know, kind of maybe not the most informed people in the world. Yeah. Um, but those stories, the, the aspect of the stories that always appealed to me, um, and like every other, I'm going to sound like everyone who's ever talked about Spider-Man ever. I'm going to talk like, you know, I'm, I'm being paid by Mar- Marvel to market for it. But the, the <laughs> real thing that hits, um, even if you go back to the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko comics, is the real world stuff clashing with the superhero stuff. That conflict is so timeless in superhero stories. Mm-hmm. And playing mm-hmm. with it and writing for it, no matter who you are, is so much fun because you're always going to have your favorite version of that story. Sometimes yeah. it's having to ditch the girl you asked to prom to go stop her supervillain father. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's feeling conflicted because you're, uh, the woman you're in love with works at the paper um, that you work at and is reporting on all of your activities as Superman. Like, there are elements of it in so many different comic book stories, and you can have comic book stories without it that are excellent and fantastic and wonderful. But it's that facet of superheroes is definitely something that draws me to it quite long. Yeah, it's... It's a way of grounding the fantasy stuff. It's the duality. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a duality. Like, it's it's fun to get to read about like, you know, 
I'm gonna pull a different a different pop culture thread here and be like, it's 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 fun to read about like you know, Buck Rogers, off on mm. a off on off on wild and crazy adventures through space, and but then it's like you you lose some of like you lose some of the relatability, and 100%. I feel like I feel like sometimes comics. And like, I'm going to extend this to uh, to movies based on comics as well, and maybe even oh, TV shows. Yeah. It's like they usually it's like they lean too they lean too far into the fantastical, and yeah, there's a human element that's very much lost there. Yeah, yeah, it's like yes, this character is a person, and then when they try to when they try to like remember the showrunners or the writers mm. or whatever like yes this person has a day job it, they mm. haven't been at their day job in a while hmm it's like it feels very <laughs> half-hearted yeah because yeah, 100%. it's like yeah i don't know where i'm going with that but you get you get no i know I, I understand no I, I absolutely get the gist like even even like you said extending it outside to film and tv or things that aren't even superhero related like the mm-hmm. two biggest star properties um you know in in sort of media and fiction right now star wars and star trek they both keep their human element in very different ways like in star wars you do it because um in star wars it's executed through like the hero's fantasy and through the idea of these scrappy rebels who are rising up against a terrible government which at this point i'm pretty sure everybody can kind of relate to just a yep. little bit um yep. and star trek sort of keeps it by instead of trying to buck around with you know that that sort of fantasy star trek keeps it by asking really big questions and really important questions about the nature of humanity so mm-hmm. it's it they both keep that element in different ways. And, you know, I'm a full believer in terms of, you know, sci-fi and fantasy in terms of that genre. It's always, it's always stronger if it is reflecting in the real world in a different way. I, yeah. um, I, I think there's always a place for fantastical escapism. I think Doctor Who does that amazingly, like, for example. Um, but I also think, you know, in similar way, Doctor Who can do this somewhat less fantastically in recent years, but there have been some great standout episodes that are good examples of it, um, that can ask us, you know, real questions about who we are, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. And I feel like the why we're doing this in superhero, uh, stories is really important, because I'm a big fan of someone who, you know, as much as I love that fantasy element of it, uh, to me, the idea of being a superhero has to come with cost and sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. The it's idea like, of protecting other people is because uh, and, and as an essential thing, you are giving up your time for no benefit to help other people. And in yeah. and of itself, that's the most noble thing you can do. Like mm-hmm. straight up. It's the it's the inherent altruism of mm. being of being a hero. Mm. It's like you said, like you are making this sacrifice, you are expecting nothing in return. Like I I, I feel like mm. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna Reference everything that I think that people should read. Um, the artist Meg Siverud, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly or not, she, in the past, did a fantastic series of Spider-Man comics where, like, he, where, like Peter Parker flat out says, like, I have a day job because being Spider-Man does not pay the bills. Because mm-hmm. if I were to get paid, they would have to know my real name, my real bank information. <laughs> and... All of all of that kind of thing. So like, literally mm. doing it because because you can, and because you want to. Absolutely, and and, and it's why particular interpretations of like 
Spider-Man as like a celebrity, or really Peter Parker as a celebrity, like um like the Parker Industries arc that happened in Marvel Comics just about six years ago, where he basically became the new Tony Stark. To me, that's it's 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 been it it's been very much straying from the things that I really do love about the character. My Spider-Man is the guy that joins the Avengers because Tony Stark and Steve Rogers turn up and go, "Well, we have money, and you don't have to tell us anything." And he hugs them both and goes, "Oh, thank God." Oh yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, that's one of my that's one of my favorite just like single Spider-Man moments in a panel. That's not even in a Spider-Man comic. It's in like an Avengers an Avengers debut issue from Jonathan Hickman a couple of years ago, and it's 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 absolutely wonderful because you feel like Peter in that moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 But uh, to bring it back just a, just just a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Let's let's bring it back yeah. to Dice Comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, 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 my philosophy with Dice, and I'm aware I haven't talked about Darren at all, and I've just been talking about the game. But that is the nature of being a GM, I, I feel, and sort of the nature of having of, of producing a podcast. Um, yeah, that's a mood. <laughs> is um, exploring that where that line is, where you finally stop and say, "I have to take care of myself," or or asking yourself, "No, I have to get over myself and take care of this." Exploring that line, I think, is a very, very big thing for. Um, are where, where I am in terms of writing dice at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. it's, ex- it's definitely explored through characters like Letitia and Alex and Marisol for sure. Um, and I think the, I think the idea of like, you know, su- superheroics have this cost that is not necessarily world shattering or like the world might end, but the cost is like, maybe your mom just doesn't look at you the same way anymore. Like that mm-hmm. can be as devastating as like a planet blowing up that you've never heard of. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, we had a very important discussion, and I want to hear about Darren. So, <laughs> okay. uh, so would would you like to talk first about kind of, like, how you came up with Darren as a character, or would you rather talk about his backstory in character, like, his character I'll, I'll, I'll backstory? Talk about, I'll, t- I'll talk about how I came up with him first, because that, that preceded coming up with the backstory. Uh, the backstory for Darren definitely came later when I was sort of really buckling down on on sort of trying to cement aspects about the character in terms of his personality mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. that needed to reflect. So Darren is more or less a response for me to to where I I was a couple years ago um, with yeah. the Flash in general. So so Darren mm-hmm. Darren in our world is the Flash. He hasn't been the Flash super long. Um, not a lot of people really accepted him as the Flash while he was around, and he eventually just stopped doing it. He's in a place where he might be going back to it. He might not. We'll, we'll see. Uh, follow Dice Comics to find out. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, he, he primarily stemmed from me going back and reading, because I, I, I absolutely adore the Flash. I um, Which one? Like, like, you know, No Holds Barred. Um, all of them. Straight up, all of them. Good, um, good. And um, I'm a big fan of uh, the Flash TV show uh, that's on the CW. Even now, even you know, mm-hmm. even though I can admit I'd somewhat taken a dip in terms of uh, the writing that I liked about it, but I <laughs> yeah. still feel those those first three, four seasons are very are still some of the best serialized superhero TV stuff. 
and mm-hmm. um, it, it it made it work for the CW because the CW definitely has that very particular style to its yep. shows. Like, I was a big fan of something like Jane the Bur- Virgin. wasn't a huge fan of something like the Charmed reboot. Not really a Riverda- Riverdale guy either. So, so That's it works for some of those shows. It works for others, and I feel like everybody else. I grew up in that supernatural generation as well. You know, following the adventures of the Winchesters oh, no. and whatnot. So. I mean, look, you, you, you got to be honest about where you come from. You got to yeah. be honest about where you come from in order to know where you're going. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> look, I, look I, I'm, I was on Tumblr. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the thing about The Flash and the history of The Flash, um, especially when you get into not so much necessarily the early 60s, but definitely the late 60s, early 70s, and, and definitely throughout the 80s, is that... Um, Comic book, okay, comic books have always been political, but what that's meant mm-hmm. over the years has changed very drastically. And yes. something that DC in particular loved to do, especially in response to the comic success of the Avengers, DC for a very long time really liked giving their superheroes hardline political stances in order to create drama within <sighs> Justice League books. Yeah. This was something that they relied on for a very long time until it became a little bit too on the nose, and it's definitely not something that happens quite a lot now, and definitely not in terms of solidified political ideas, but it's more talked about in a Star Trek way, where there are questions about moral authority or questions about what the right thing is. So, to me, going back and reading all of those old Flash comics coming out of the out of the very adventure-heavy 40s into the more sci-fi sort of what I like to call uh, educational adventures of the Silver Age. Getting into the 70s and the 80s was uncomfortable because Barry Allen and Wally West both were portrayed as Midwestern conservatives. There is a very famous panel... No, I, I I did not like that either, and, and Darren is the end result of me <laughs> grappling with that. So yeah. uh, there is a very famous panel that me and the dice players like to joke about quite a lot. But mm-hmm. it's from, I, I don't think it's from the Judas Contract, but it's somewhere around that sort of time frame, like again, sort of an early 80s comic where uh, Wally West looks at the Titans and goes, hey, you shouldn't judge people for what they believe. I don't judge you for all being West Coast liberals. You shouldn't judge me for being a Midwest conservative. Now, unfortunately, you take that line in 2022. You read that line in 2022, and unfortunately, it's absolutely going to read like, oh, I'm right wing, 100%. I'm like, I'm one of those don't judge people that actually just votes in favor of taking away people's choices or like keeping immigrants out of the country. And it's something that as a Flash fan, that's not easy to read. It's not easy to read as an immigrant myself. It's not easy to read as someone who wasn't born in the country that he currently lives in. Um, So a lot of my writing about the character sort of revolves around trying to reconcile that in a certain way. And it hasn't quite come up in the story yet, but it's going going to very, very soon. Mm -hmm. So Darren was me sitting down and going... Um, in a very, in, in the least pretentious way possible, what does the Flash need? What does the Flash need right now mm-hmm. in terms of its legacy? Because again, um, I, I, I do like every Flash and I do love Wally West, but my, my love of Wally West comes from the late 90s, early 2000s, going into 2010 sort of era of Wally West, where that sort of, that, that, that aspect of him being like a Republican straight up had largely been... Uh, been taken away from the character for his benefit, might I add. 
And his stories were very much more focused on his relationship with Linda Park, his family, and really mm-hmm. just trying to live up to the Flash legacy. That's the stuff that gra- grabbed me about um, Wally's early stories for sure. And um, it's it's interesting now because, the, you know, with all the reboots and stuff that had happened with DC, Wally has only recently come back into the Flash role. Um, he is now the regular Flash in the Flash comic that you can pick up from newsstands and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I guess, digitally in this newfangled age we live in. And, <laughs> but not on <laughs> comicsology. <laughs> but not on comicsology. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a whole other whole nother can of worms. But um, Yeah, that... That, that is something that would be discussed on a podcast where people are allowed to drink if they want to drink. Oh, <laughs> which I feel is like that's completely one. legitimate, yeah. <laughs> so, um, with, uh, with that, uh, Wally's has only recently come back into The Flash, but here's the thing. A couple years ago, like, before the New 52 happened, my mind was always interested in, like, okay, like, Wally's really cool and we're gonna have our time with him, but nothing lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Much like Doctor Who has to change their actors every four years because actors quite rightfully want to go off and do other things. Um, yeah. One of DC's biggest strengths is its legacy and the idea of legacy characters and passing these mantles that mean so much to people in the universe, but fans as well. It's why people go nuts for Miles Morales. It's why people go nuts for Valzad. Um, and, and to me, it kind of... Although as much as, as happy as I am to see Wally back in the comics as The Flash, I thought we'd be somewhere else by now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I thought we'd be in a place where maybe Wally was a mentor character or, you know, I, I guess dead, which he essentially was for 10 years when DC just tried to ignore the fact that he existed and brought in Wallace West, who a character who I also quite love. I love Wallace West, um, the kid Flash from the New 52 who's sort of, you know, the kid Flash in comics now. I really like that character. But it is kind of a shame that, like... We, the status quo that we currently live in is basically just going back to the way it was before 2010. Like, there's a little bit of a disappointment there for me. For the Flash comics in particular. I'm not talking about other superhero comics that have sort of felt like there's been a bit of progression. Because Green Lantern definitely feels that way. um, With sort of widening out its cast and the introduction of, like, Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz. People of color. (laughs) People of color, exactly. And when you sit down and you really look at it, the Flash's problem is that it's way too white. It's it's way, mm-hmm. way, 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 way too white. And the way that the Flash show rectifies that is obviously giving, making every part of his familial supporting cast, making people like Iris and Joe, they make them black. And it's not it, mm-hmm. it's not a it's not something that feels cheap. It's something that really feels like it fills out the stories and just make sure you're not staring at an all white cast it's like the entire time, which is just yep. not anything anybody wants to see apart from you know a very I suppose vocal form of comic book fan. Growing up, like I, if I were to write the Flash, I couldn't write a Barry Allen or a Wallace West. I couldn't write about a Midwestern American who loves his hometown and sort of just wants to do the best and kind of, uh, even though it's not said out loud these days, kind of believes in the system a little bit. Yeah, Um, yeah. And so Darren is that response. Darren is sort of taking aspects of my life experiences and really the experiences of Southeast Asian immigrants in general and Mm -hmm. making them work for a Flash character and making them sort of, uh, making it feel true to what the Flash is whilst using that background and to me what the flash is is the flash is essentially a story about hope it's about someone with a very simple superpower that Mm -hmm. makes sure that no one has to get hurt the flash to me he's the ultimate firefighter he's the ultimate disaster rescue guy yeah Um, superman is the one person who can stop an alien invasion from invading earth the flash is the only person who could rescue a mountain full of people in the middle of an avalanche 
Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. to me is the inspiration of the Flash. That to me is the heart of the character. And I think more than anything, when you bring in um, somebody like Darren, who is very much an immigrant, who is not American and living in a geographical part of the United States that is not technically part of the United States, because that's the way that Patch City, where our story takes place, works. Um, yeah. You, it, 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 it brings a perspective, I think, that the Flash comics themselves and a lot of Flash stories have been sorely lacking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't want to go too much in here because we only, re- we recently did the episode in which, uh, Darren sort of, Darren's backstory is kind of explained to both the audience and our players. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it, it is very much, um, his wrestling with the, what the legacy of the Flash means and if he can change that perception of it is very much the same struggle and the same journey that I'm still going through today. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, gosh, especially as a legacy hero, like... There's a weight. There's, there's, you, you can't play mm-hmm. a legacy character and just ha- and ignore that weight. Because it's, it's gonna, it's gonna catch up with you at some point. Yeah. Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> uh, here, here's a question. Um, does Darren have predecessors? Like, like, are there like are there Barry and yeah, Wally? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, does he interact again, with them? <laughs> uh, no. Um, Darren is so the only Flashes that are still around in our game right now are Jay Garrick, the original Flash, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. Avery, who is the Flash of China, um, who is a recent character from the DC Comics, who is also oh, yeah. a character who um, I will definitely at some point be bringing into conflict with Darren in order to explore some of my own feelings about being diaspora, but having grown up in, um, in, in Asia, basically. Um, I spent a lot yeah. of my childhood moving around Southeast Asia and I finished high school in Singapore and I basically worked out of there for, uh, most of my life. And, um, moving to the West as an adult, I think is very, very, very different because I live in Australia now. Um, mm-hmm. and moving, mm-hmm. moving to what is basically the West and especially, a you know, a post-colonial sort of country as an adult is very, is a very different experience to moving to it as a kid. And I feel like, um, a lot of DC heroes in particular, um, that are people of color, um, do tend to be like the children of immigrants who culturally, um, are Asian American. And that's not to that's not to demean the culture of Asian Americans at all, but it is mm-hmm. very a very different experience from if you say spend all your life in China and then move to like Milwaukee at twenty five. It's not oh, yeah. going to be the same because kids have the chance to form their identity within their environment, and society is a lot more forgiving of it. But when you're mm-hmm. adult, there's a lot mm-hmm. less patience for it, even if you're understanding of said country is less than like an eight-year-old child who's at least lived there for all of his life yeah um yeah so um so a big part of that um in relation to the way that the flashes aren't really around anymore um is that uh wally west has uh i don't think it's come up in story yet but i'm happy just to say it here he's been he was time locked out of his present time and he and he he lives in the future now oh okay and his family basically were shunted out of the present um, during what was basically his last fight. And although he's fine, his family's fine, they can't ever come back to 2020 Huh. Barry Allen died in crisis. He never came back with reverse. There was no new 52 and people remember him fondly. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. 
but he was probably like like he probably had a couple of times where maybe he came back for like a guest spot during our world but that's not really like super important to it so yeah again yeah. so the only flash that darren can relate can actively talk to who lives in the same city he does is the guy from world war ii who is a very yeah. very different person to somebody like darren who's arrived at patch city at like 16 um, yeah, and yeah. just trying to kind of adapt to it. Because, again, Darren, me, me at 17, I, I was in love with American culture. Like, American pop culture permeates every part of the world. Like, it sells hotcakes. Like, you only have yep. to look at the success of stuff like Star Wars and the MCU to do that. But then mm-hmm. growing up, for me, especially during those years of 16 and 17, was becoming more political. And yeah, seeing yeah. how the United States, whether it be had been through either imperialist warfare or through economic coercion had affected the history of not just my country, but so many other countries in the region. Mm-hmm. Because especially mm-hmm. when you're a kid living living in a country like that, no one wants to tell a kid super who, who likes Captain America, hey, there's a little bit of that that's American propaganda. No one wants to actively break that kid's heart, even if you're living yeah. in a country that lives in the shadow of American imperialism. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that you kind of have to cross your fingers and hope that they realize for themselves. Um, another big yeah. aspect of Darren is that he, he is a single father. Um, that's not my experience, yeah, but he's, yeah. very much, he's very much based on um, a friend of mine uh, who um, in Singapore uh, who was a single dad where the mother basically wasn't in the picture um, and had become a single father uh, at a very, very young age. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of his, because he had the support of his family, like he had a really big family, there were absolutely lovely people, and he had their support, but the biggest stresses for him, and the stresses for me now, is I find myself going into 30, and thinking yeah, about the yeah. future, and, and having been with my partner for seven years, is how to be a good dad, is how to, how to really push your kids in the right direction, because, um, and again, this is uh, just a brief trigger warning for anybody this may affect, I, I come from, from an abusive household, Part of my reason mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. moving to the West was um, attempting to sort of get out under my parents, but now they live in the same country as me, but I'm estranged from them, so I don't really talk to them. Um, yeah. But uh, a lot of... Uh, that That's definitely something that Darren shares with me and myself in terms of having a conflict with it. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's incredibly hard for both Asian diaspora and Asian Americans to talk about like the tiger mom stereotype or or the yeah. Asian parent stereotype in general. It's it's incredibly yeah. difficult, not because it doesn't exist and people just make it up and not because it does exist and anybody who says their parents are different or lying, but because Asians are not a monolith. Because you will yes. find some families who absolutely have that idea, that very traditional and bordering sometimes going into abusive version of success where if you're not doing everything you possibly can to make Mm -hmm. as much money as you can and sacrificing your life for this company or whatever then you know your worth is literally less than that of other people and there are asian families who just don't mess with that at all and Mm -hmm. have different ways of raising their kids and it's it's so hard to talk about abuse um in asian communities from that aspect Um, so in that, Darren's, Darren's struggle sort of with raising Ryan, his son, yeah. um, reflect sort of mine right now where, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> I, I don't have as much time as he does to sort of figure out what kind of dad I want to be. I don't yeah. have as much time as, uh, you know, a lot of other people because as, as COVID has well shown us, two years can go by in a flash. 
it'll just it'll just go. And yeah, time means making, nothing anymore. <laughs> yeah, time means nothing anymore. And making those decisions now, I think, is really important to me. Um, yeah. 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 And real quick here, I want to I wanna tell you a note that I had written down, uh, which was single teen father, question mark, super baby <laughs> Bjorn, question mark. <laughs> I will say, uh, I will say for now, for those who are curious, Ryan has not exhibited any metahuman abilities, but... That might change. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Stories are flexible, and you know, I I I do love a magic baby trope. It kept mm-hmm. me watching Grimm for more than I should have. <laughs> so, um, so maybe who knows? And you know, everybody loves an adventures and babysitting Jack Jack kind of thing situation. Oh, yeah. I, I would love to run. I would love to run an issue that's just that. Oh gosh, could you could you imagine Blue Beetle and the Outlaws babysitting? Yes, I can. I-, I can also imagine it being the most fun episode to edit in the yeah. world. Like, yeah. I um I, I say this a lot, but I I adore. I am in love with my players. I adore my players. We've Aww. all known each other for a very very long time. Um, yeah. We have all we we've sort of been friends just through through so mm-hmm. very much in the world <laughs> and in our yeah. own lives. And um, I think a lot of the fun of our game comes from the fact that, like, I'm not going to say just because we're friends, because that is very much like the critical role, the adventure zone kind of thing. But it's because we we know we we know each other's boundaries, and we know we 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 know what we fu- each each and the other finds funny. Like, just because, hey, I'm playing a game with my friends or my fa- or my literal biological family members. Like, just because it's been popularized doesn't mean that you can't do it (laughs) yeah a (laughs) hundred percent yeah and i'm curious since you and you and your your friends who are also the players in this campaign um how would you you've known each other for so long how would you say that that carries over into darren's interactions with the rest of the outlaws that is interesting um because i i will say with some players, some outlaws are less self-inserts than others. Like, I feel like Matt is one of the loveliest guys I've ever met and is able to play Alex like a total dick. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, that's... Darren's role within that group, I think, very much reflects uh, kind of my own um, in a weird way. Because he... he I, I was very much... Um, uh, I wasn't one of the last people to join the group. But um, mm-hmm. it sort of had already been formed and you know i was very much welcomed in by the people i am obviously playing with now um and uh in in that regard part of it is that the vast majority of our group are americans uh, apart from broden who uh like me lives in australia Mm -hmm. and so a lot Mm -hmm. of, of that early friendship was just you know sort of trading stories about sort of you know, being like, oh, that's interesting. This is what it was like for me. While simultaneously, like, geeking out over music or TV shows and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like, I feel like, you know, fandom is a way to get to know people, but you start to get to know them once, you know, you start tra- talking about your background, what you find significant in things, and, you know, you make, you make actual, you make actual genuine friends once you get into sort of the bones of the person, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not physically, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, and it, d- it definitely affects the way I write as well. Like, um, mm-hmm. uh, they, my, my players, my friends have been there for me um, at definitely at moments in my life that have been very, very dark um, and yeah. where I've 
definitely just needed support or just the knowledge that someone was there. And I feel like a lot of what we've been exploring with Darren is kind of a reflection of that at the moment. Because uh, the other big part of it is that um, Darren is, uh, he, he's very much, uh, he's a very emotional young man. He feels yeah. quite a lot. Um, he he wants to be seen as you know he 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 wants to be seen as cool and confident, whatever. But he's a big old ball of feelings that yeah. sometimes has yeah. trouble sort of controlling that and sort of processing his emotions as yeah. as we all yeah. do and we as as we all have you know as young teenagers. Um, mm-hmm. So he relies on the group quite a lot, and I don't think I'm doing any sort of disservice to myself when I when I say I rely on my friends quite a lot and I'm, you know, I'm incredibly grateful that they're there for me. And Darren is sort of, Darren is almost my thank you for that. The game in general, the game in general is almost my thank you because every time I write something for a player, every time I write an event or an incident or something that I want somebody to go, wow, I think of it as a gift. I think of it as giving to my friends, not necessarily just on the level of like, I want cool stuff to happen. It's I, I know Morgan's tastes or I know Matt's tastes what can I write here that's going to genuinely delight them? And that's sort of, that's that's the starting point with all of my games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very good. I think I asked this in, in Letitia and Brandon's episodes. Who is Brandon's favorite person to work with in the Outlaws and least favorite person? Who is Darren's favorite person to work with and the least favorite person? Um... Uh, <laughs> I am remembering those episodes and I, yeah. uh, <laughs> all right. I, I would say oddly enough, I think, oh, this is, this is very hard because Dar- Darren <laughs> loves the outlaws for all sorts of different reasons. And again, like he's very much someone who was an outsider to the group who then sort of came in and, and, and got to know them. So he, he loves working with Oscar, for example, because he, he, Oscar, we like to think of Oscar and Darren when they have scenes together. Oscar is almost like Tails and Darren Sonic the Hedgehog. Aww. Oscar is someone that Darren feels confident showing off of, uh, showing off in front of, I should say. Yeah, um, yeah. He's someone that Darren genuinely wants to impress and also doesn't want to just necessarily treat like a kid, even though that's what he ends up doing most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you know, the, that sort of well-meaning encouragement just sounding a little bit condescending is what's kind of the place it can go to. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Darren actively enjoys working with Letitia, despite the fact Letitia will often uh, very, very funnily make fun of him. Uh, because T- Letitia's the smartest person he knows. Like, yeah, there is... Yeah. When when Darren's with Letitia, there is no there is no part of him that has any doubts because it's kind of like being in a classroom where you can put up your hand and be like, I don't know what I'm doing here, and you'll get told. You like yeah, you, you yeah. will get the guidance you need, and I think mm-hmm. in that I I don't know if he's necessarily expressed it um, in fiction before, but Darren Darren is very grateful for Letitia because uh, having someone <laughs> who is a super genius who can look at your super speed and talk to you about it as a friend with your best interests at heart is way better than a random doctor every time. Yeah, yeah. Um. I'm, I'm really just going to list the reason Darren likes working with the Outlaws before I answer your question here to, to uh, process my own thoughts about it. Um, no, no, go ahead. Go Darren ahead. likes working with Marisol because he has a big stupid crush on her that he needs to process. Ooh. Um, it's, again, I don't know if it's come up yet. It will. It definitely will. Um, but uh, t- there, there is an aspect about Darren that's very Brock from Pokemon. Um, he... 
wants to be suave and cool. He wants to be a rock star and have people see him that way. But the minute he meets somebody he thinks is pretty, and Darren is the kind of guy who thinks most people are pretty, um, he's just he's going to blue screen just a little bit, short circuit just a little <laughs> bit. He's gonna be he's gonna be a little bit dumber, a little bit slower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, but simultaneously with that, Marisol is someone that Darren very much. I think looks up to um, because as much as Marisol might not feel that she's got her dual life stuff sorted out, d- the way Darren sees it is that she has kind of a structure and a home life that he never had. She has like, even though her parents may not know all of her Blue Beetle stuff, there is an element there of them genuinely caring about her well being beyond mm-hmm. um, beyond using it to manipulate or necessarily gaslight their kid. And I think yeah. Darren more so than. I think Darren, Letitia, and Sharir are definitely characters who... Actually, really, all of the outlaws can look at Marisol's family life and see that even though you know it is a constant struggle and juggle for her, there is something to envy about that mm-hmm. kind of home and that mm-hmm. kind of care. Um, so in that, like, Darren just holds Marisol in very high regard, probably higher than he should, but um, he's, yeah. uh, <laughs> he's, all, he's all heart, no brain. Um, Sharir... See, the funny part about this version of Darren Shurier is that Shurier has met Darren a couple of times in his in his timeline multiversal adventures. And yeah. they are people who in every timeline get along because Darren and Shurier's relationship is very similar to me and Brandon's. Um, mm-hmm. but, but exaggerated 100% in a different, in sort of a different oh, yeah. way where oh, yeah. um, a lot of the time... Uh, I get to kind of be the straight man to 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 Brandon's you know Brandon's uh, Brandon's fool, but Sharir is mm-hmm. not like a jester character. He's just a dude who has a habit of saying really weird shit at the worst moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in that aspect, um, again, Darren is someone who recognizes that Sharir cares like a lot for him and wants to reciprocate that in a way, but doesn't really think he's necessarily worthy of it because again, Darren looks at Sharir and sees this. You know, a kind of a weird guy, but also he sees the like time traveling alternate universe um, assassin who never was, who is now a yeah. doctor and sort of has made his own life despite everything he's lost. And mm-hmm. in that aspect, um, in that aspect, Shreer almost reminds Darren to be grateful for what he does have um, in certain ways. But also thinking, but also it definitely brings up certain elements of insecurity with him in thinking, I don't, I don't think I could go through what Shreer's been through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, there's Alex is an interesting one with Darren. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Alex is a dick. We talked about it before. Alex is how uh, Alex can yeah. be a, a, a little Abrasive. bit of a Bart Simpson. <laughs> yeah, but Bart Simpson crossed with uh, with Tim with Jason Todd is kind of the way that I. I, I like to view Alex when I'm writing for him. Like, as long, along with the Beavis and Butthead stuff. Again, he's the Batman kid who watches Rick and Morty. Like, um, Alex, Alex is someone that Darren recognizes has a lot of pain, but doesn't want to press him on it and would rather just kind of be friends with the guy. But Alex, yeah. Alex kind of, Alex's perception of Darren is that he's a little, he's, he's a little bit of a drip. He is, uh, he, like, like Darren feels too much. He's a little bit, he's, he's a bit too, like, He's a bit too soulful for his own good. Um, Darren is the kind of guy to bust out the, the acoustic guitar and write poetry or like a song there in the moment. 
Um, and yeah. Alex is the yeah. kind of guy to absolutely lose it at that happening. So playing playing with Alex and Darren in the scene is always really fun because I could I could, it's always this kind of thing where Darren can kind of extend extend the extend a hand out and Alex will just look derisively at the hand. Um, that being said, it's a lot of fun with with them in scenes together. I haven't been able to do as many as I'd like so far. Um, but they're definitely characters who I think once we get to a certain point are going to get on a little bit better um, in that aspect. Because they, they, they are both, they're, it's kind of like that because they're both almost sort of similar where Alex is obsessed with his image and Darren is incredibly insecure about his image. Mm-hmm. They're both characters that definitely want to be seen as something, but Darren, unlike Alex, doesn't quite, he hasn't been faking it as long. He hasn't been, he hasn't had the experience of that sort of public face as long as somebody like Alex who was born into that life. Yeah, yeah. I think for sure, probably the person Darren enjoys working with most when uh, from the Outlaws is probably Sweets because he can, for a minute, he can kind of feel like that hero. He can feel, he, he, he can be with someone who believes that he's the Flash and for a second he can believe in himself. Um, mm-hmm. And that does definitely come from like Oscar's relative youth and just reminding Darren of where his kid's going to be in a couple of years. And I'd say his least favorite is probably... Um, it's not actually, I, I would actually probably say, I don't know. He's, he's just, he's just not the kind of person to put people into the, into the least category. He, That's he okay. wa- ultimate, ultimately, I think he wants everybody to get along. I don't think, I yeah, think there, I yeah. think there are moments where he's going to be like, oh, I can't believe it's me and Alex. But, um, ultimately that's just, that's just, you know, that's just a gag for him because mm-hmm. again, he is a character who, who desperately, desperately, um, wants to be part of his, this group, but doesn't really realize he already is. Aww. Um, I know. I know. For me, accepting help was some of is one of the hardest things that you know anybody sort of um, in recovery mm-hmm. and anybody with post traumatic stress disorder can do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that realization for Darren, I can write, hopefully, happen more earlier for him than it sort of did for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have I have one more like in-depth question. Yeah, and go for it. that is uh because you've mentioned um a couple of times that there was that that y'all played with Blue Beetle and the Outlaws for a while before you started putting it to air. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. how how did how did Darren change between between the version that you hadn't recorded and the, and now that you are recording, that's a that's another really good question. So, um, <laughs> so we had two reboots in our game before we ended up on the in the universe uh, that the podcast is currently set in. Um, the first version of Darren uh, is actually now a villain. He's the current oh? Darren's reverse Flash. Oh. Uh, so that world basically ended when Shareer, uh, killed Ra's al Ghul by chopping off his head and made a time paradox. So the universe basically had to sort itself out. We did the classic bright flash of light and then coming back onto a whole new world. But Mm -hmm. here's the thing, when Shareer, that version of Darren, his original timeline was the Flashpoint timeline, the terrible, horrible timeline where, like, Thomas Wayne is Batman and the world is constantly at war and it's all just, you know... A horrible dystopia. It um, sucks. He, yeah, it sucks. He did not have enough of an anchor in that world to survive another reboot 
a reboot would have meant that Darren was just going to go. Um, yeah. And quite possibly never get rebooted. And mm-hmm. when the Outlaws sort of made that decision, he did not forgive them for it. He, um, I, I think it was one of the first, like, really dramatic moments in our game that hit was the moment that they all realized that they had kind of accepted the reboot that was coming because they wanted Sharir to hang around. And that version of Darren took it as them choosing Sharir over him. Oh, no. Yeah. And he immediately, the, he was the first villain in, in the rebooted campaign. Uh, Sharir went yeah, off and yeah. joined the Legends of Tomorrow for a little while, and that was interrupted by that version of Darren coming back and becoming uh, the, the Reverse Flash. And mm-hmm. uh, that obviously tied into uh, that second version of Darren's uh, backstory, uh, that reboot version of Darren. Um, yeah. Who sort of got his powers in the midst of this reverse flash coming to the new rebooted timeline for the specific purposes of killing that Darren. Um, it was actually kind of a blessing with that because th- that, like, reverse Darren's main goal, um, his enti- what he feels is the justification of his existence, is to kill every other version of Darren in the multiverse. So he's the last, who, he's the only one. That character, yeah, that character is both a combination of my love of the Jet Li movie, The One, where that he basically does that with Kung Fu, but also, um, for me, it's a commentary on people who are obsessed with the quote-unquote original version of a character. Like, people Ah. who will look at every change or adaptation or new legacy characters or rebooted characters and go, no, he's not like the way he was in The Flash 683 to The Flash Uh. 687. So this is not The Flash. He is every part of that toxic idea put into a character, very much inspired by Superboy Prime from the Infinite Crisis comics as well. He's he's absolutely a Gen 1-er. It's, you know, it's Optimus, Optimus and Megatron or nothing for him. Oh, jeez. And he's that taken to kind of its most ridiculous superhero extreme. Well, he's like, well, okay, if there are all these Darrens in the multiverse and I think I'm the only legit one, they have to go. So that version of Darren shows up, fights that the, our new rebooted version of Darren in that second arc. And um, really, what, what came with the second version of Darren, I will say, how he changed mm-hmm. between the super villain version we came, kept around, is that... Um, uh, music was much more of a bigger thing for this version of Darren. So like yes, that first yes. initial version of Darren I introduced was very much, um, he was a very functional character and a fun way for me to play with someone who was kind of villainous and then was on the precipice of being a hero and a villain and eventually sort of got dropped into the villain role um, where he could be kept around for a little while. But this version of Darren was definitely bringing him closer to me. So the second version of Darren was, um, he was a SoundCloud dude. He, he plays in a excellent. band. He's a band called Redline, uh, which is still something that's uh, stuck around for our game. It hasn't come up super importantly yet, but it's still around. Um, yeah. He, uh, he is, um, much more, he's, he's a lot more hippie in the second version. The second version of Darren was a lot more chilled out and peaceful, but also simultaneously, um, was a real Mm -hmm. go-getter and that was expressed through his Flash story. This version of Darren was actually in an on-again, off-again relationship with Marisol. Um, in this version of the timeline, Ryan was their child. Was there oh. direct biological in the in the earlier timeline? Ryan was a child that the outlaws sort of found, discovered, and adopted into their into the group um, to take care of. Uh, because yeah. in the original timeline, uh, 
uh, Ryan had some weird, funky magic baby stuff going on, which uh, was has been largely removed in the current interpretation of him. Um, mm-hmm. Just in order to ground it, ground the baby more. Don't know. I never expect myself to say <laughs> ground the baby, but um, uh, but yeah, and uh, a lot of fun with that was being able to sort of spar with Kathy um, and and have like fake fights uh, with these two incredibly emotional teenagers who are also superheroes who yeah. are kind of getting each other's way, but have a lot of affection for each other. And um, that definitely was a step into the current version of Darren, where I just sort of, I threw a lot of the backstory fantasy off the table, and I went, right, okay, these are my experiences, this is my love of music, Um, we're going to put in, you know, a little bit of an obsession with Sonic the Hedgehog in there, because I got into Sonic the Hedgehog during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, It was something that was very much around during my childhood with the 90s, and something I associate quite hard with the 90s and the early 2000s, but had not had a lot of genuine hands-on experience with, so I just ended up playing all the games and falling in love with it. Um, Yeah, yeah. So he he he's very much someone who um who became kind of less of a caricature as he went on because I I love exaggerative characters. I love characters that are walking talking jokes. I love mm-hmm. characters who have only one personality trait sometimes because that can be very <laughs> very funny no matter what people says say, but I feel like for a story like this and especially the stories that I started wanted to start telling about Darren um it had to be brought closer to home. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a big part of, especially, I feel like, the different universes we've gone through is that we have explored different stories in them. Like, I, I think um, a big, mm-hmm. fun story that we did towards the... The story we did right before we rebooted the second universe and went into the podcast, uh, the podcast's iteration of it, is yeah. the... Uh, we, we, I, ran an, I ran a game called Outlaws vs. Teen Titans, which I wrote as oh. kind of an event comic six-issue style... You know, like like the thing that an actual comic book company would do, where the whole mm-hmm. crux of it was these two teams facing each other off with equivalents on the other side. And it was one, it was, I think that arc sort of solidified the choice to start recording and podcasting because we recorded some of it. Yeah. I wish we'd recorded all of it, but we got some... <laughs> uh, uh, the, the group pulled out performances that um, I didn't think they weren't capable of, but were I thought we were like a couple months away from getting. But they yeah. they just played fantastically, and I, at the end of it, we were all kind of in agreement. Yeah, let's let's start recording. Let's try and give this an actual go. Um, and it yeah, it was it was just so much fun being able to just sort of inject sort of our favorite tropes from comic book stories and play with them in a way if that made sense. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that definitely makes sense to me. Mm. I, I will say now, um, it's gone very tonally. We, we've shifted a little bit more. Into, there's a lot more CW in Outlaws the way it is now. Um, mm-hmm. Because it is an element that came through with the other two versions of the game, but something I wanted to come through much, much more strongly with this version, which is why we, in our introductory arc, we have this entire thing with Letitia Luthor and her ex, Tuppence Terror. Um that very much is left on a, oh my God, sort of a note by the end of the fourth issue. And mm-hmm. that, again, that, like we were saying at the, at the beginning of all of this, that, that human aspect, that emotional, you know, feeling aspect of it is just incredibly important, I think, to any, any superhero game alongside yeah. the escapist fantasy. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I I think this is the point at which I ask you the last question for today, Indy. Okay, cool. I uh, hope so I hope I hope I hope some of this is usable. So Oh yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh so your last question for today is why do you love Darren so much? Now you kind of just talked about it, but I like to ask. <laughs> no. Um if I were to summarize it, I love Darren because I love taking this I I I love Darren because he's the Flash, but I also love him because he because he's a reflection of where I would like to go and where he's a realization of um, a lot of my sort of teenage dreams, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like Darren, I love mm-hmm. Darren because if I'd had a character like Darren at that age, someone who I could have related to was like a non-American like superhero, someone who had been through those very specific experiences, mm-hmm. it would, I feel like it would have done a lot for me growing up. And that's not to say that, you know, characters whose experiences don't match yours one for one have no value, of course. Like, there are people who love Miles Morales who aren't from Brooklyn or don't even share his race. Yeah, yeah. it is something special, I think, Mm -hmm. when you can look at a character and go, oh, he's just like me for real. Yeah, yeah, that is And although other people might not get that with Darren, um, I love him because he's just trying his best, like Mm -hmm. every other Flash. Mm -hmm. Like, every other Flash in his position with super speed who can go a million miles an hour and break the speed barrier, he's just trying his best. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said for creating the characters that you want to see in the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Be the change. It is the kind of thing where people are like, oh, wow, he's a... I've never, ever received this criticism, partially because I feel like the people who do engage with our podcast are, you know, reasonably pleasant people. But, you know, if someone <laughs> would go, oh, wow, he's so he's just like a self-insert OC, yeah. Like, and? you guys are always so annoyed when people criticize adaptations. You go, write your own. Okay, we're playing our own. You can listen to it every week. And if you don't want to, keep off. Like, Yeah. I, I think, yeah. like, masks, on, honestly, like, if you are frustrated with comic books, if you are frustrated with superhero things, run a masks game. Like, get, mm-hmm. get a couple of your friends, run a masks game together, explore the stories you do want to explore, because it's never going to go for one for one. You're never going to sit down and plot out an, an entire arc and have it go that way, and I definitely don't plot that way. You mm-hmm. just start by mm-hmm. asking yourself a question, and you answer it with your players. Yeah. If you do want to run an RPG just so that it goes the way that you want it to go, maybe it's better being written as prose or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. If it, Again, like, the format in which Blue Beetle is in the Outlaws, I don't think Outlaws could be anything else but a game. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I have thought about often, especially with some of those older recordings, sitting down and turning them into scripts, but there is so much that comes from the game that comes not just from the characters, but from the personality of our players. And again, Mm -hmm. like I, I, I'll say it again. I'm in love with all of them. They are all fantastic, wonderful, talented people. And I enjoy hearing Morgan as much as I hear, enjoy hearing Letitia Luthor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very good. I'm so glad that you all have this game and that you're sharing it with us as this podcast. (laughs) Honestly, honestly, me too. I, uh, this, this game has been very transformative for me in many ways. Um, and it's interesting to think about because, um, as I, I traditionally within our group, like, uh, before we, 
before we even played Mask. I, I, I was a player straight up because I really didn't have the time at the time to run a campaign. Uh, we were very much playing sort of more fantasy-based stuff or hard sci-fi stuff, stuff like Lancer or D&D, and they weren't really systems that I particularly wanted to write for. I didn't want to write a mech story. I didn't want to write um, a fantasy story. And Western fantasy, traditionally for me, has to be very specific for me to actively be invested in it. Um, again, that's not a criticism of the genre, but, um, quite a lot of it is a lot of old white guys standing around hitting each other. So, yep. <laughs> yep. and I'm, I'm someone who, who loves contemporary stories much like I'll, I'll sooner watch a period piece set in the sixties and the seventies than I will medi- medieval England, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. so superhero stories are just, are all, are to me my favorite genre to write for um, because it is sort of, you can have all of this fantastical stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, you're still writing Mm -hmm. people in the world. And I think that's Mm -hmm. just, it's the most important aspect of it. Yeah. I think that's very true. Okay. uh, So this is the part of the podcast where I get to say, uh, thank you so much Indy for coming on the show today and talking about Darren. I really appreciated getting to hear about him. Thank you for having me on, Christina, and thank you again for not just interviewing me, but all of our other players and having giving us this opportunity to really babble on and work through our, our uh, feelings about our characters. Yeah, yeah, hey, always, always welcome, always welcome. And actually, uh, this is also the part where you get to uh, talk about places that you would like to be found on the internet, uh, and do you have things that you want to shout out and or promote, because I know that you do. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Easy. Um, well, yeah, uh, you can find me, Indy Tan. I'm on Twitter at It's Mr. Mask. Uh, you can also find me occasionally on the Dice Comics account. That's at Dice Comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, do I do I get to promote, like, other people here, or, or is it just, yeah. just my work? Yeah, yeah, whatever you want to shout out. Oh, well, uh, if, um, if, you, uh, if you give Blue Beetle and the Outlaws a chance and you're itching for more Masks actual plays... There are some great, great um, Masks APs out right now. Um, the community is going super strong. Um, Protean City Comics from Stop, Hack, and Roll is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm, they have been mm-hmm. in the community for years and years and years, and I would say they probably set the standard for a lot of the other Masks APs that came after them. Um, mm-hmm. Otherware, I recently finished season one of our other... Actually, recently, I'm up to date with Otherware now. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I'm up to date with Otherware, and I have had a blast following that team. I've had a blast following Quint, Mystic, and Phantom in season two alongside like Laosa and Thermite. It's been a ride. I very much enjoyed the last issue with the giant sloth. So I am very, very excited for uh, the next release. And of course, mm-hmm. um, Moon Harbor Heroes is another uh, podcast I'd like to shout out. Um, uh, T and IC from Moon Harbor have been incredibly welcoming uh, to us here at Dice Comics. Um, they have been doing a lot of... that. They like... Um, like Protean City, they've been around for quite a while. They've always made an effort to try and represent different people on their podcast, which is why they have two different podcasts and this massive, massive line. But uh, I want to give them a quick mm-hmm. shout out as well. Um, uh, I should probably give the ads for that. You can find Otherware on Twitter at OtherwarePod. You can find uh, Moon Harbor Heroes, I think. Uh, I should have just thought of the ads before I did all of this now. Uh, hey, it's okay. Editing Christina <laughs> will take care of it. <laughs> Uh, you can find Moon Harbor Heroes at at Moon Harbor Cast. You can find Protean City at um, at Protean City. Um, and was I missing anybody? No, those were the three I mentioned. Cool. Awesome. The Home for Everybody Sees is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. 
We can be found through Acast and your local podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is Violet by Poddington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. We can be reached at waywardocpod at gmail.com or at waywardocpod on Twitter. If you'd like to talk about Wayward or the other Corner Podcast Network shows, uh, we have our own Discord server. Uh, there should be a permit invite on the show Twitter accounts, but if you can't find it or if it's invalid, just message one of us and uh, we can get you set up. And I am always looking for guests to talk about their original characters, so feel free to drop me a line if you or someone you know might be interested in talking about your OC on the show. I do have a Google form. It is the pinned tweet on the Wayward Twitter account uh, that has, you know, like information for you to fill out, like when you are available to record and stuff like what's your OC about, that kind of a thing. Uh, and I'm doing my best to stay more on top of submissions. Uh, so if you haven't heard from me about your OC, uh, feel free to message me and be like, hey, uh, I sent in my OC. What's up? And I will hopefully be able to get back to you as soon as possible. <laughs> and as with all podcasts, it is always super helpful if you can subscribe and review us on your listening platform of choice, because it helps us to find a wider audience and to brighten more people's days. So, thank you all for listening. This has been the Home for Wayward OCs, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. In a period of transition uh, of his life, where yeah. he kind of has to make a couple of decisions. If I, uh, just give me a moment. Uh, there's a, just a kettle going on, and I don't want it to interrupt the recording. So <laughs> <one sec. laughs> That's okay. Uh, I would be super remiss uh, not to mention that all throughout March, um, all of the Masks podcasts uh, at the moment are, uh, we're running a big bracket known as uh, March Masksness. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, if you're interested in Max as a game or you'd like to explore some of the characters that are coming out of these actual plays, and there are some really, really great ones. I know I mentioned a handful of like otherware characters before, but really the scope of it is absolutely fantastic. If you're interested in at all, just uh, follow, I think it's at March Masksness on Twitter. If not, just look for the hashtag March Masksness. Mm -hmm. And um, there's going to be a whole bunch of streams throughout the month. There's going to be, um, like I said, the bracket is the main event, but we're going to have a couple side brackets as well. And it's really just a chance for the AP community in terms of masks to just have a little bit of fun and celebrate our characters and our stories.